It's Monday, the 20th of February, 2012. It's 7pm. That makes it audio podcast time. Hooray. This is um, show 47, which we're calling the With the Recordist. And that's because we're joined today by Frank Bry of therecordist.com. Hello, Frank. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very good, thank you. How are you? I am doing excellent. It's Brie, by the way. Brie, sorry. Oh, that's okay. It's the French one, not the German one. Ah. Here we go. That's cool. Now you know me. Only people who know me actually pronounce it Brie. So. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's like a secret club that we're in now. I like that. Yeah, a secret. Oh, I like that too. <laughs> so the um the the recordist for our um for our longtime listeners, they will they will probably be very aware of it because this is one of our number one sources for comedy sound libraries, which we like to mention um every week. And it was actually um, in response to uh, an email. I email everybody that we talk about. I just email them to let them know we mentioned them in the show. And Frank replied back to an email to say that he would love to come on the show and tell us about the crazy names that I like making fun of every week on the show. So this is why <laughs> this great opportunities came about, which is really exciting. Yeah, it's awesome. So could you tell us a little bit about The Recordist? Um, the Recordist... Uh Started, uh, I started the website back in 1998 uh, on the advice of a good friend. He said you should grab that URL. No one has it. Of course, back then you can get them pretty easily. So um, it was mainly a uh, just my own personal website, and uh, I have a, a it's a division of a, my company called Creative Sound Design, and uh, um, so I started the website just to basically. Uh, um, showcase my work in, in video games. Um, I had been in video games for a few years. And then one of the things that I did is I put up a bunch of MP3s of free sounds. And then over time, people started requesting if they could have the originals and could they use them in commercial productions. So uh, back then, it was uh, a manual process for me of getting sounds together and replying to emails. and. <clears throat> And uh, so over the course of uh, five to eight years, um, I started to realize uh, that people, you know, really enjoyed the sounds that I was putting up that were free. And uh, I never made any really money at it, but um, so uh, I started to, my brain started working and uh, I've got to figure out how to get these things out to people without doing the physical CD shipment and and um, <clears throat> all that crazy stuff. <clears throat> so, I um, in about 2008, I really started to get serious and I contacted a good friend of mine, Paul at Airborne Sound, and he kind of helped me get going with digital uh, delivery on the internet. So I came up with the idea of Soundbox and um, started selling these packets of sounds, these boxes of sounds that were grouped and uh, as a sound designer we always like to have tons of source so I started putting in lots of sounds together and then it just grew and grew and grew and uh, that's kind of the long short story. <laughs> so could you tell us, uh, you mentioned these uh, sound boxes, could you could you say what a, so what is a, what, what is a sound box then, it's just a collection of the audio files? Yeah, a sound box is um, 
it's a collection of sounds that are all from a genre specifically or um, uh, category like wind, rain, uh, fire, um, rocks, ice, snow. And <clears throat> I have different, I started out uh, just doing my CD quality sound boxes and now those are just called the sound box. And then this sound box HD, which were collections, but um, recorded at 24 bit 96K um, and uh, which is where everything has on. That was one of the things I um, wanted to ask you about. We've mentioned a couple of times like the, the pros and cons of high sample rates and HD audio. Um, so I've, I wondered if we could get, get your opinion on, on why it's important to be using these big numbers. Um, well, other than supporting the uh, hard drive and memory business of the world, um, you know, with the amount of data that you collect, uh, some people even go higher. They double that to 192K, which I have done in the past, too, and I record a lot of my source that way. But um, a sound is a sound. I mean, it can be, you know, a CD-quality sound. It would be a great sound. You know, you have to use what works. Um, but uh, we're really pushing the envelope with sound design. And um, there's just a whole bunch of amazing, talented sound designers that, that um, really... Uh, really enjoy working with the high resolution file and it does really make a difference I mean you can do things to a 96k or 192k file that you just can't do um, as a sound designer so having that um, ultra high fidelity source material allows you to manipulate and transform the sound <clears throat> whether it's playing it three or four octaves low or running it through a whole chain of plugins, and uh, you just retain uh, uh, as much as you can that original quality. Great answer, thanks. So, um, I'm I'm going to go. So, um, with so, could you maybe talk us through the kind of process that's that's there? Because, um, how how do you start a set of of recordings that you're going to make then? What's, what's the beginning of that kind of process? How do, how do you choose what you're going to make? Or is it just for what you need personally for projects you're involved in? Um, in the past, it was what I needed in video games. Uh, I've done about 35 titles um, over the last 18 years or so. And um, if I needed something, um, I would go get it. But now with the recordist, uh, which is a full-time job for me, um, I'm still doing some game work, but it's uh, basically my, my microphone's like a dog's nose. It, it gets a scent of something and it just starts heading in that direction. So um, I'm not sure. A lot of times it's a conscious decision, but uh, where I live, I'm able to do things uh, on my ranch that uh, you can't do living in an apartment. So I have all this, this natural um, outside um, environments that uh, I can do stuff so I I don't know I just stack up lots of sounds and see where it goes and then if I need more I go get more but I basically follow my instinct and the vibe I've been looking them um, down through your blog and you really get that impression that you of you know the opportunist you have your microphones with you and taking whatever's available and kind of following through what's fun at the time um, yeah, so I was going to ask about that, but that's already been answered. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I, I, I just uh, late last year or early this year, I released a train library, and uh, I, we have a lot of trains come through the uh, the area that I live. It's kind of like a, a hub from east to west, and there's like sixty over sixty freight trains that fly through here on any given day. And I just every time I went to town to to get groceries or just to go out for coffee I always like had to pack up my rig because you never know when a train really is uh, going to show up or stop and leave or or um, so you know it really really does become this like 24 7 365 thing with me and my microphones it's kind of crazy actually <laughs> so when you mention your rig could you uh, talk us through what your kind of favorite tools are currently then um my favorite tools um i have uh two stereo pairs of sennheiser mkh 8040s and uh they're high resolution um microphones and uh they're paired up i also use two separately and i have a couple sound device 702 recorders that i sync lock together and uh that's my like favorite setup rig that I use. Spontaneous rig is like a Sony PCM-D1 or Sony D50. Uh, the D50 always stays in the car, so it's always with me. Um, and I've actually recorded quite a few trains with that thing because I just was out and there was a train. So, uh, but uh, that's kind of my favorite microphone recording rigs. Um, you know, I don't have this huge, massive setup. Um, which I would like to have for someday for a multi-microphone recording, but, uh, you know, it's growing and, uh, it's easy to set up. I can carry it around. I, it's just most of the time I just go out with a pair of 8040s, um, cause it's easy to carry around the car and set up and move around and especially when you're on ice and really can hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you had a question there, Sam. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. No, I'm, I'm, I'll come. So, um, We're all continuing with just a little bit of delay today, aren't we? It's like by the Google Hangout, but it's all good. That's only good. So um, it, it strikes me that you're the kind of person, well, from, from looking at the kind of recordings you've, you've done and the things you've captured, you've basically recorded in kind of all sorts of environments and all kind of weather conditions. And mm -hmm. I, I just wonder, is um, what, what's the most demanding recording that you've that you've had to make what were the most demanding set of conditions you think that you were um, recording from it really depends um conditions or items recorded because you know uh there's actually two answers for that um uh, let's have both the most uh, probably the, the the scariest and most physically demanding recording sessions i ever did was up at 3500 feet on the side of a cliff face pushing boulders and off and uh, actually standing on the boulders that you might push down um, with a, you know, expensive microphone set and the recorder strapped to your back. And uh, that was probably physically the most dangerous thing I've ever done. I don't know if I'll ever do that again. My wife was uh, a little nervous about me going up there all by myself. I do, I do most of my work by myself, so uh, which can be challenging and, and uh, you know, dangerous. And... Um, but in terms of objects that have been the most demanding, um, guns, 
Uh, I started recording guns a couple of years ago seriously, um, which I can do here in Idaho. It's kind of a free for all out here. So <laughs> as long as you don't, you know, as long as you don't uh, get in anybody else's way or 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 do anything to upset people, you know, you could pretty much. I mean, I can do guns on my ranch. Um, I can go to certain places around here where you don't bother anybody, but uh, the M16 machine gun was definitely the the scariest thing I ever recorded and most demanding technically. Um, uh, I didn't, had never done a gun like that, you know, and uh, I don't know if you know of the gun, but it's kind of a beast. So, um, so there's kind of two answers there. There's physically demanding, ice is physically demanding too, because uh, without ice shoes, you can, you know, it takes you a long time to walk across the lake. So I finally got some ice shoes. I, I, I want to ask more about recording guns because that's something that we obviously, uh, but we're in the UK, so it's just it's just something yeah. we'd never we'd never do. So how how do you go about recording um, a gun? I presume obviously the microphone placement in relation to the to the to the gun itself has a significant impact on the kind of sound and the the quality and the kind of characteristics of it. How do you go about trying to establish how how to kind of do those to do those things? Oh ah. Uh. Boy, you know, I'm really not an expert in gun recording. Um, uh, I can tell you what I've learned. Uh, um, I consulted with um, with Chuck Russum and uh, Charles Maines, who are like to me um, some of the gods of gun recording. And uh, they gave me some really, really good tips. But they all, but they basically said follow your instinct and um, you know, kind of go with the flow on it. There are certain techniques that they have, and everybody has their own. And I've developed mine. Um, Guns are strange, you know, that, to me, they're, you're behind the gun when you're shooting, so even with, ear, you know, hearing protection, you're actually hearing the, um, <clears throat> not the brunt of the shockwave, but you're kind of hearing it from behind. And I always recorded guns from the front and was always wondering why they sounded like firecrackers. So, uh, you know, uh, there are certain techniques you can learn um, to get the essence of the gun, and it's basically practicing while paying a shooter, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're kind of, uh, you're on the clock and um, the weather conditions and sometimes you're rushed or, or uh, sometimes there's extraneous noises. So I, um, I don't get too close. Um, some do and get really, really great results. I don't have a huge microphone selection and there are great mics that you can do that with. Um, I just kind of, uh, listen to the gun from different sides. We do some, some test firing. And then um, I place the mics accordingly and uh, uh, really kind of hope for the best. And it's hard to listen back with headphones because you really don't get the full um, impact of all your recordings at once um, unless you really play it loud or something like that. So it's usually not until I get home that I figure out what I have. And uh, I got my fingers crossed most of the time. So so when you do get home with your recordings, what um, what kind of software are you using for editing and things like that? Um, I use uh, uh, Pro Tools uh, HD2 Excel rig uh, with Pro Tools 10. And um, I take... Um, that I use for the final editing and mastering probably 98% of the time. Um, 
the first thing I do is put everything in SoundMiner, which is a, a, a database program, which <clears throat> I can input all the metadata and all the notes that I took of the session. And, uh, and it's, uh, I have a whole bunch of different um, databases of my raw stuff, my final stuff, my edited stuff. Um, but I get it in there so I know what I have. And uh, I spend probably a, half my time just cataloging and mm. inputting metadata, which is really kind of a chore, but I've kind of developed my own system over the last 10 years about how to keep things organized. And that's where the funny file names come from. <laughs> it's just my own, you know, back in the day, we, you know, before we had asset management programs, you used to have to look at your uh, Pro Tools bin, you know, to, to see the organization of your sounds. So, um, you know, I, I kind of used to name everything in this funny, weird, words don't make sense thing, but they sort properly. Yep, I know exactly what you mean. Yep. So it is, it, I mean, it is kind of funny when you look at it, but, you know, just so you know, the file names are not the description names. The description names you see um, in Pro Tools in the file info or the description field in SoundMiner are actually a little bit more um, cohesive and with commas and stuff. <laughs> cool. Oh, there's lots of awkward silences today. Scott, have you got anything else to add or ask? Yeah, so um I'm 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 actually I'm I'm actually going to begin a project in a in a couple of months' time where I'm recording an instrumentalist um halfway up a hill. Um well at, at the top of mountains as we'd call them, but they're not really mountains in relation to people who actually have mountains. But um um what sort of advice would you would you offer for kind of if you're going out to record in kind of outdoors are there any sort of like tricks or secrets you've kind of developed that serve you particularly well or Yeah just make sure you're not near an airport <laughs> Fair enough <laughs> or or a highway or 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 you know something like that um halfway up a hill Well we're it's I, I can't say too much about the project, but it's a, a somebody who wants to improvise with weather, with the kind of sounds of weather, but in the location with them. So um, that's the kind of thing. So I'm I'm aware of the fact that I'm going to be holding a rucksack full of equipment up the top of a hill and then kind of, you know, trying to mic an instrument and mic the environment and stuff. And I just wondered if you had any any kind of comments about trying to get that kind of like, you know, the ambient condition, ambient kind of conditions sort of. So. Like yeah, I mean, you would <clears throat> you would have to listen once when when you get there, and you know, obviously, you're going to have multi microphones. You're going to have be able to set up some close microphones and some distant microphones, and so you you just want to capture the instrument in in a natural environment with weather. That's what you said. Yeah. So with the you know, he wants to improvise with the kind of things that he hears while he's there, and the kind of you know the kind of sounds that we're actually hearing that are happening live. So it's kind of a, a live outdoors performance kind of feel to it. Is wow, that's really funky. Yeah. Wow. I, I, um, I don't know. I mean, I, you just you might have to try some different things if you have time. Um, you know, I would get, I would get a, um, you know, a nice stereo um, sort of mid-distance and then get some close ones because you're going to, this isn't like a live thing. This is, you, you're going to... Uh, master this later right that's correct yeah yeah oh. i would experiment with different things i mean you know it all depends on humidity in the air and, and or how much wind there is um are there lots of 
birds around or animals or you know bulldozers chainsaws things like that i mean i don't know yeah i know that's a yeah. kind of got me on this oh sorry i do just just kind no, of i was like you know we're talking about recording outdoors i was like i got a project i'm gonna have to do that soon so that's a, yeah uh just you know make sure it's not raining too hard yeah so recording rain is real challenging yeah I, especially when you I notice you have a lot of weather recordings, actually, of like thunderstorms and hail, and we've talked about snow and ice and, and rain and things like that. How do you deal with the practical issues of kind of keeping, keeping the microphones dry? <laughs> yeah. uh, zip in and out of the house for three minutes at a time, maybe. Uh, you know, um, I have that luxury where a lot of this stuff just happens within, within um, you know, 20 meters of my front door. Uh, that's where most of my thunder is recorded, is like right literally outside my front door. And uh, there's an eave on my roof that is, is, is way high up. So, because it's in the center peak, the door is kind of in the center. And so, when it's not raining too much, um, I just can stick the microphone right in front of the door. And there's that, that um, little eave that keeps the rain from hitting the mic unless the wind blows it at it. But, um, you know, it, it's, really, it's really tough. You know, I, a lot of times I'm just, it's a spontaneous thing, so I don't have a lot of time. So sometimes I'll just grab a towel and hold it with my arms over the microphone. And uh, for as long as, you know, I can without my arms falling off. So it literally is going out for three to five minutes at a time and then coming in and grabbing a dry towel and then going back out. I mean, that's the rain stuff. Um, I've been in the woods recording it falling off the trees and... Uh, Again, I'm basically just holding some soft cloth over it. Um, I, I do have a Rain Man, um, which is from, uh, I can't remember who makes it, but I like that one. And, uh, but that doesn't always work. Really just the drops can be really big. And I know my will will make that go away. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Thank you, Richard. It's very interesting to hear you, hear you talking about these things in these kind of bits. There. And it's nice to get, you know, to hear more about the kind of process that's going on as well. As, um, as Sam mentioned, you maintain a blog which carries a lot of kind of photography of, you know, of, of you kind of in action and kind of making the recordings of things as well. So um, mm -hmm. that looks like a, a very detailed and kind of useful, useful resource as well for our listeners. So we'll make sure we, well, we'll I, we have we have your URL in the show notes already, so people can just go across from there to go and take go and take a look at it as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I really try to document as best I can. Sometimes I can't. Um, you know, sometimes something will happen where it's so spontaneous that I don't really have time to to get the video cameras uh, set up. And now I use two sometimes, like for the guns. I had dual camera setups, but that's a controlled environment, so I was actually able to set that up and and. Uh, but um, yeah, I try to document it because it's 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 part of this is educational too. I mean, I've had over the course of my life, I've had some really wonderful people um, um, take me under their wing and and kind of school me on on some things back when I was younger. And um, part of what I what I want the recorders to do is to um, not only show um, professionals how the libraries were made. Um, but also people who, who want to learn about this, um, 
can have a place where they go, oh, that's, you know, that's how he does it. And maybe I'll try that. And then they come up with their own setup. Um, but uh, it, it is kind of uh, fun to document your recording. I never used to until a couple of years ago when all this blogging happened. And, and, uh, and uh, now all the big sound effects companies are, are doing it too. They're starting to show more about how their libraries were made. And uh, I just think it's great. I mean, I, I love watching um, Tim Breville's, um, Tim Preble's videos, um, that crazy guy from New Zealand. Yeah. Um, I really like his videos. Um, Michael from Rabbit Ears, his videos are, are, um, are interesting because it shows what they recorded. Because, you know, you don't know. I mean, I can go out on the ice and record ice cracks, but, you know, I could make that in a bathtub and you wouldn't know it, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. So certainly people can't question the authenticity of these things if you've got the... <laughs> Because yeah. especially things like ice, it might it doesn't always sound like you expect it's going to. So, uh, no, there's a lot of things that that don't. I mean, when I was making the uh, fire libraries, when I really started documenting back in uh, 2010, and uh, just because it, it was mainly just for me uh, at first, um, just so I can remember my setups and, and what I did, and then I started putting the photos online and and really actually saw how crazy the job us sound recorders have. I mean, I've done some pretty insane things. I don't recommend standing next to a 50-foot flame burst too close. <laughs> <laughs> it can get kind of hot. Yeah, you, you want to make sure your mic's not too close either, I think. That's it. Yeah, that's. Um, I don't use my real expensive mics for that stuff. I mean, I. I mean, I do. I have. I do use my Sankin, uh, which is a fairly expensive mic. Um, but it, th that one, you know, held up really well. But I don't use my eighty forties uh, with with fire. So at least not yet. I'm. I'm kind of nervous of asking, but have you have you ever killed a microphone yet, or is it? No, and I, I've I've had my CSS five face plant in the water before. And it was in the water, and it, and it, and it stopped working. And then um, I ran it through. A, I put it in front of the hairdryer for a while. I waited a couple of days, and uh, um, it, it works fine. But it actually landed in the stream, and I stood and looked at it like an idiot. I'm like, you know, I should have immediately just pulled it out. <laughs> but <laughs> I have a slow reaction time sometimes. Uh, that's I was brilliant. freaking out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, $2,500 microphone just in the, in the water so, uh, <laughs> but it was only in there for probably three seconds that seems like an eternity when it's a microphone was it recording as it um hit the water because that, that... Yeah, i was actually i was actually recording a stream and what happened was is my the microphone stand it was on i try to do everything with a microphone stand but sometimes i don't tighten up the the boom arm enough so it's it, it will it's just slowly you know we'll start <laughs> moving down and then <clears throat> I don't know what happened, but I turned around. It started to sound funny in the headphones. And I because sometimes I'm not looking, you know, at what I'm recording, kind of enjoying the scenery. And uh, it just started to sound funny. And then it stopped. So I turned to look, and it is in right in the stream. So just yanked it out, freaked out. That, that, that could be the beginning was, of that. 
that that could be the beginning of a, a really exciting kind of set of soundbox here. Microphones being submerged, you know. It's a... <laughs> Actually, it's really not the greatest sound. It's a very um, subsonic DC offset clicking sound, and then it just stops. It's not really that pretty. Oh well. <laughs> anyway, and when it comes to producing glitch sound libraries, you don't really need really expensive microphones for that. Thing. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't keep the take. I actually deleted the take because I never ever wanted to reference that again. Because my heart stopped when it went in. I mean, I didn't have the eighty forties yet, and it was my main microphone. So I was like, you know, I, mean, I didn't have a backup. So it's, if that microphone goes, it's like, oh, gotta buy that one again. Oh, oh yeah, that would have been. <laughs> But it survived, so uh, yeah. no worries. Doesn't look cool. Shall we? Um, shall we press on and do some news items? Are you going to st stick with us, Frank, or shall we thank you I, and say goodbye? Or? I can if you want me to. Yeah, you're more than welcome to stay. We should just say, um, if people are interested, obviously to, to know more, the website is therecordist.com. Um, do you run a, like a Twitter or a mailing list or anything that people can sign up to as well? Uh, yeah, you could on right on the website is uh, the link. Um, there's a Twitter icon at the top right. You can click on that and you can follow me there. Um, there's an RSS feed you can sign up for, and there's also the mailing list. Cool. So um, and it's all right there. You can sign up. You can follow. Uh, and uh, there's videos on YouTube and Vimeo and. All that stuff too. Cool. Now, on a technical note, Scott, um, could could you do some talking? Because for the podcast listeners, um, your microphone will be more safe, and I, I need to load one or two pages, which is going to make the um, internet talking drop a little bit for a moment. So, okay then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So while, while Sam is uh, battling the Google Hangout, um, I'll just remind everybody you can get all the show notes as always at wiki.theaudiopodcast.co.uk. Um. Yeah. Um, if you want to, oh, we love to get complaints, so don't forget, if you want to complain, uh, you can complain at the audio podcast or email us uh, show at the audio podcast.co.uk as well. Um, it's always great to have that. Um, we got some, uh, well, we got uh, Dan Stolwell's coming for an interview next week. Um, going to tell us about the Super Collider Symposium coming up, so that should be kind of fun. We're going to ask him some other questions as well, so if you've got something you want us to ask him, then you could send us an email as well. How about that, Sam? Was that a good enough impromptu for you? That was perfect. Fantastic <laughs> stuff. So cool. Frank, uh, feel free to weigh in with any kind of opinions you wish. That's perfectly fine. That's uh, as, as, as we okay. move through, as we move through them. That's more than happy. And I don't know if there's other people in the uh, hangout, but I guess well, you can just start joining in if you want to. Um, are we starting with the Electronic Musicians Award? Yep, that's on top of the list. So this is um, Electronic Musicians magazine website forums news. Publishers and their editors have a choice awards of 2012. They um, they've been doing they do this every year, I think, but this year they've taken a different approach to it. Apparently, yeah. So rather than having the kind of very traditional categories, they've made the categories a little bit more interesting. So um, the the mixer that can be powerful and cute award goes to the Persona 1602. There you go. So rather yeah, rather than have like. <laughs> let's choose the best mixer. They've just taken all products and said, right, we'll find whatever we think are the best 30 products and then assign them categories after, we, after they've won. That's the way they did that. So. That's pretty good. Um, the, the 828 Mark III got the uh, most badass interface, which I thought was nice. 
Though we did actually, oh, we should mention this, didn't we? Um, we we can segue into the into the special in a minute here, Sam. But um, okay. we met a, a friend of ours, a gentleman called Ollie. We um, met him on Saturday while we were uh, doing some live streaming, which you may have heard, and we'll tell you about where you can get the recordings from that in a minute. But um, he actually reported back to us that he actually has had two 828 Mark III Moto interfaces, which, and both of them have been dead, have died, and caused all sorts of chaos for him. So Yeah, he's had problems problems using these on through the Firewire onto Mac Minis and... Running yeah, Lion, wasn't it? I think he said he was running Lion as well, and he felt that was maybe part of it. So, you know, I just, I, I think we should mention that because lots of people accuse us of, you know, just saying positive things about Motu. So somebody contacted us and had something negative. So hence we've done that. That's true. There you go, balance. Balance something <laughs> like that. Well, the, well there's <laughs> loads of fun. Uh, I like the most extreme door makeover for uh, Cubase 6 and Sonar X1. I thought that was a cool category as well. Apparently, Pro Tools 9 won the Plays Nice With Others award. I guess that's because they opened up their hardware accessibility on that, didn't they? So, mm. Is I, that why? I, I hope they were kind of feeling ironic when they gave that award there. I think so. Yeah. So explain that award again. I mean, Plays Nice With Others? Yeah, that, that's the award that was given to, given to Pro Tools 9. I mean, it doesn't have to play with others can play by itself that's probably what it should be right <laughs> i mean you don't need to lock it to a huge you know paperweight dongle anymore that's very true on a yeah. on a giant interface that works reasonably well with it but not with anything else that was sorry that was a, that was a reference to the good old digio 001 there for a minute sorry <laughs> <laughs> that was an incredible interface it just didn't work with anything but pro tools i always remember that uh, yeah i know what you mean it yeah, I, sorry, I'm, I'm just going off on one now just for historical reasons. I apologize to everybody. But it used to annoy me. You'd have like this beautiful Digi001 and then you'd want to do something other than Pro Tools and you ended up just plugging into your headphone socket or something. And it was just like... And you, and it would only give you eight of the analog ins. In fact, it was only eight in, eight out that you could access through other hardware. Yeah. Whereas, you know, so you've got like 24, 24 channels sitting there at least and you can only use eight of them if you're not in Pro Tools. Ah, well. But, but old days. But old days. <laughs> so anyway we should mention we met ollie because um we had opportunity to go to the electric spring msp symposium on saturday which was part of what was called gem days and is now called electric spring at huddersfield university and we actually live streamed the all of the talks out and sam and i commentated on them as they were going on which was actually a lot of fun did i hope you enjoyed it sam i did i thought it was great fun i did yeah it was kind of an unexpected role but kind of got into it yeah and relayed a few questions from the internet to the speakers. And, yeah, yeah, that, that, that was pretty cool. Um, I haven't got the list of people who talked actually in front of me. I just forgot to prepare it. Have you got it? Do you remember? Um, no, I'd have to load it. Oh. But anyway, we recorded all the talks. We, you should you load it. I'll get. I'll, I'll do. It. We recorded all the talks, and yeah. they're in the process of getting uploaded. So if you want to download them and listen, if you're interested in Max MSP working with it, um, yeah, they're going to be there and available, and you know. You're more than welcome to have a listen to them. Um, one of them we might not be able to get up because it um, used some copyrighted audio as an example a couple of times very well. So I'll probably put it up and wait until I get told I have to take it down. But So you might want to grab that one really quick in the next like, couple of days before it disappears again. So that's pretty cool. Have you grabbed the list, Sam? I have, yep. So the, the, the copyright audio in there was, um, it was Michael Jackson, wasn't it, that was being used? But it was... Um, Timo Rosendahl. I'm sorry, I'm I'm really bad at names. But Timo was talking about the work he's done with Uberman and some really 
insanely intricate full-on applications all built within Max MSP using um, GL extensively. Yeah, yep. really quite impressive stuff with the Connect also for controlling things and lots of real-time video sampling being used. Yeah, that's great. And then Luke Woodbury um, talks about Max and special needs. He works at a, a school for um, special educational needs people and he has a, a, a what was it called? Something studio? What was the name of his studio? Was it Immersive or something? I think maybe. Immersion Studio, Immersive Studio? Sensory Studio. Sensory Studio. Oh, so he's using. <laughs> so he's using DMX lighting and RFID in objects and iPads for controlling things and kind of creating all kinds of different environments within this one studio with three projectors, all pre like three projectors to create a surround projection on the concave wall and all this yeah it's really really quite inspirational work really it's quite exciting and then martin parker um composer based in edinburgh he kind of talked more philosophically that he, he used the phrase max made me do it talked about how how it was through his through learning maximus p that he became able to say to people who had crazy ideas of is this possible? Like, yeah, of course that's possible. And lastly, there was Andrea. Oh, I'm not going to try to say it. I'm going to say it wrong. So I won't. But he was talking about Bach, an automated composer's helper, which is a set of objects which for handling LLLs, which is Lisp-like Lisp linked lists. Yeah, so Complicated data structures, nested lists within Max MSP, so lots of processing stuff, as well as a glossy front end for showing common mu music notation yeah. and editing it within Max. So, yep, that's what happened on Saturday. And there is notes on our wiki. And as, as Scott said, there'll be more up there. And I'll link to that. The link's not there on today's show notes yet, but it will be after the show immediately so if you listen on the podcast it'll be there that's cool and while we were there everybody was running max which uh, takes us to our next item in the um apple have announced the uh, osx uh, the next osx version will be called mountain lion that's just a ridiculous name um sorry i kind of prefer hello kitty hello kitty yeah that's pretty yeah that's that's pretty good yeah should... <laughs> are, are you an apple Does... user or yeah i got about five or six of them laying around here yeah. What version operating systems are you a Lion user? Have you gone to Lion or? Um, I use Lion on uh, any non-audio, um, like my laptop. Mm. Um, I just moved to it. And I use uh, Snow Leopard, the last version of Snow Leopard on my Pro Tools rig. and um, It's just working. So I'm, I'm one to, if something's working, I mean, I'll go a whole year and a half without updating my operating system. As, as long as Pro Tools isn't crashing, you know, why, why make it worse? Yes, mm -hmm. that's very true. I, we, we we chatted before. So, oh, sorry, Sam, go for it. Yeah. Oh well, yeah. I was going to say I can never remember what number is to what cat. I mean, I'm on ten point six. Like, I what is that? What's that? Is that snow that's leopard? snow? That's snow, snow leopard. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And that's ten ten six eight is like the last. Yeah, that's what I've got here. Yeah, which yeah. is actually a really really good operating system. And and then you have Lion, which is. 10.7 and I think they're 10.7.03 or something. And from what I can see with this 
um, hang on, what are they calling it? <laughs> Mountain lion is, um, yeah, it's moving more and more towards the iPad and they kind of, you know, lion was the kind of obviously first step to that. And yeah, yeah I'm not sure how I, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about that really. Well, I mean, and I, you know, for me, if you want my opinion, an iPad is an iPad and an iPhone is an iPhone. I mean, but a Mac should be a Mac to me. I mean, that's it. I mean, I don't, you know, I can't, I couldn't imagine doing finger gestures on a Pro Tools screen. I mean, I know some people use pen tablet things for mm. Pro Tools and are really good at it, but, you know, um, I mean, someday we'll have these seven foot wide iPad Pro Tools rigs. And we'll be, you know, dancing on them with our feet. <laughs> yeah. It'll be, yeah. It's kind of weird. I mean, I think, I think eventually they probably want to move to their own processors. That's why they're doing this. Yeah, I think they're, you know, I mean, it makes sense for them to consolidate their software stuff. But um, I think we, we've spoken about it before as well. But there's, I, I think the, the audio community has been very well served, well, the professional audio community has been very well served by OSX all the way, you know, from 10.2 onwards. It's been, you know, I, I think very few people would have, very few people experienced with both Apple and Windows would have opted for a Windows XP or a Win Vista or a 7 kind of option. Mm -hmm. But um, it does feel like Apple are kind of starting to kind of lose focus on delivering kind of like stability and, you know, a solid platform for creative use. And they're obviously... They've got a lot more of a mass market appeal now and mass market feel, and they're wanting to integrate integrate things. Because so I'm finding that every version of OS X that comes out just has more things that I have to work out how to stop doing things. Stop. So, like, getting Spotlight to stop kind of indexing and things in the background and trying to get it to turn off all the extra kind of bits of glossiness that have appeared to just get the memory, you know, to get the processing power back in, so... That's a... Well, I, you know, I do. I have noticed with Lion. I mean, you you can if you get a memory usage meter, you will watch over the course of your day if you're doing audio. I mean, you will watch your memory just disappear. I mean, these programs leak so much memory. Mm. Um, and Lion, I don't know. It, I don't notice as much on on Snow Leopard, but um, yeah, there's a lot of goop going on. And you know, I just want my system to work. I mean, I don't need a launch pad for my audio rig. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't mind having rocket launchers and a an espresso machine on it, but <laughs> you know, yeah, I think so. I, I don't know. We'll see where things go. Yeah, certainly so. Let, let's uh, let's move along. Um, what's next? Oh, resources for learning more about Reason. Yeah, propel ahead. This is a really cool resource, actually. Though I don't actually use Reason an awful lot, so yeah, it's really cool, though. Have you looked in any uh, in more detail, Sam? Or anybody? Is he gone? I think he's gone. Oh, that's okay. He'll he'll reappear in a minute. I'm I'm not a reason user, so me neither. There we go. I think that's all we have to say. It, it's a Propellerheads website. They've got loads of video tutorials and kind of books and bits kind of up there though. So it's probably a good way to learn how to use reason. Yeah. Yeah. If you have reason. If you have reason. Have, if you have, have reason no, to reason. I have, yeah, I have no reason. We have, we have no reason to reason now, so that's fine. Yeah. Oh, well, let's see. Um, what's the final item we had in here today? I think we're good. I think we're good. That's it's nineteen forty six. That's a that's a bit more plundery as an item, maybe. So, um, 
I'm just gonna I'm gonna skip that last item because that's just cheating. Um, so we got a uh, two two items of plunder, rar as they say, um, <laughs> which are just little fun things we find which we want to mention, but we don't really you know can't always immediately mention them. And uh, the first one was uh, something which was particularly Sam and I. I know Sam was very enthusiastic, was I was as well. Um, but in Sheffield we have something called an access space, which is similar to a hacker space. I, I don't know if you're if you're aware of hacker spaces, but um. Uh, the one we have over in Sheffield called Access Space recently received a, a, a nomination and is now um, the number two new radical thing in the UK, which is pretty cool. It's, um, so we just mentioned that. Both Sam and I have played gigs there. We, they, they kind of put live coding gigs together and stuff like that. So, um, And it's with a whole load of computers. So that's kind of fun. Sam, are you back? Hi, Sam. Hello. Hello, Sam. <laughs> oh, uh, Sam. I don't know what that was, a particularly strong gust of wind might have rustled the cables. I'm going down a telephone line. There's no fiber optics where I live. I'm wireless out here in the mountains. It's all microwave. Oh, wow. So. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, it's just beamed through the air from my house from a little like square little um, white pad that sits on a pole. It's really, really kind of bizarre. It's like ultra Wi-Fi. Get... I should get me one of them. That's, I'm up in the hills where I am. Kind of, there's, there's no. Yeah, cool. Anyway, I'm back. Where did we get to then? Um, I'd I'd gone on to. I was just talking about Access Space, and it's cool. uh, and it's, it's nomination. You can find the link to it. It has a link to fifty other organisations and kind of entities that are doing kind of quite interesting and radical things around the country as well. So it's it's definitely worth having a look because, um, obviously we Sam and I know of Access Space because it's in Sheffield, which is near to us. But there's kind of similar sort of things going on all around the country now and they're very kind of community orientated you know a lot of them are running at very little cost uh, many things are actually free to attend and it's a you know a great opportunity to go and kind of do things one of the things i love the most about access space actually is they specialize in getting computers um kind of secondhand broken computers and then you you can essentially go along and get a computer and try and fix it and if you can fix it then it you can use it if you want to. So I, I always love going in there and seeing all this collection of legacy hardware and all these kind of broken bits and trying to envision the kind of what sort of crazy box you could put together by plugging them all into each other. So that's, a, <laughs> that's one of the things I love the most about that. Cool. How about the last item of plunder, Sam? You put this one in. I haven't had time to have a look. Oh, the last item of plunder. So this is a, um, a video um, on the... What's the name of the blog? Hang on. Disorienting. Accuse matter. Accuse matter. Yes, and it's a video called Computer Music, and it was created by another name. I'm going to say very wrong. I don't have a clue how to pronounce Finnish. Um, Erki. Oh no, I'm not going to say. It. You can see the notes there. Is so circa 1966. This was made an experimental movie of the time, and it shows computer technology of the time, and it's computer music made at that time, and it's. It's wonderful. I I had to go look up the this. I, I I enjoyed it so much. I wasn't sure if it was actually as old as it said it was. I did a little bit of research, and it seems like it is. Yeah, check it out. It's Splendor. So it's what six and a half minutes. Really enjoyable little little video. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, awesome stuff. Well, we've we've made it to the end of that show. We had a. Lots of weather issues, I think, is one way of putting it. It is raining out, raining here, actually, a bit as well. So, you know, I mean, it's 
It's all conspiring against us, but we've made it to the, <laughs> we've made it through the show. Um, Frank, I'd like to thank you uh, for for joining us and uh, granting us an opportunity to to speak to you and interview you like that. That was a, that was an awful lot of fun for us. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah thank you. Very, you're very welcome. That's cool. And um, if if you're interested in seeing more, um, seeing you know, hearing Frank's work or reading the blog and finding out more about what he's doing, then obviously it's the Recordist. That's where you want to go. So um, I definitely recommend checking out therecordist.com. You can see all those bits there. And if you're in the sound design kind of world, then you know, I'm sure you're probably aware of it already, but if not, the kind of, you know, the sound effects that are available there are, are of absolutely, you know, top-notch quality and incredibly good. So they're worth... With funny file names. With funny file <laughs> names, yeah. <laughs> we, obviously this week, we didn't have our favorite funny file name feature, but, you know, we'll be back to that next week. So we're, I think you we're thinking made, you for a while now on this. You guys have made me very self-conscious about my file names now. I think I might have to go redo them all. No, 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 they're great. No, they're absolutely no, fantastic. No. No, Definitely a meaningful. <laughs> uh, that's, hey, if it's meaningful, it works, I guess. Yeah. Indeed, so no, they're, they're absolutely fantastic. We love them. That's, that's oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. That's cool. Um, yeah. So next week, we're going to have Dan Stowell, if I'm, my memory serves me correctly. Um, yep. So that, that'd, be, that'd be cool. That'd be a re really exciting one there as well. Um, maybe Scott McLaughlin will be back as well, but I don't know. We'll have to find out, won't we? It could be like that. Well, it feels like we're missing something. Have we, what haven't we said? Oh, I don't, don't know. know. Oh, well. Oh, well, the show yeah, notes I, are... I dropped out. I would... <laughs> you, you don't know. Oh, no, I know what I'm going to do. Yeah, so this was uh, show number 47 with the recordist. Um, I'm Scott Hewitt. I'm Samuel Freeman. I'm the recordist. Yes! Hey. Bye! <laughs> Bye!